0: In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org.
1: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. We have our friend Ned Ryan with us. He is the founder and CEO of American Majority. We're going to talk to Ned about the state of play going into the 2024 election, how we're doing with the tactics of getting Votes in the places we need them, when we need them there. How we're doing on the messaging battle and uh, just how he's feeling about politics in general right now. We've got a lot of things to talk to Mr. Ned about. Sir, always good to see you, my friend. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell me this. What is your biggest concern right now? Not I'm not asking about a primary candidate or anything else. For the GOP heading into... The Biden re-election effort right now, yeah. trying to uh, oppose him. What's your biggest point of concern? What makes you think, guys, we got to wake up here?
1: I think the first thing, Buck, as soon as I saw the Biden, you know, announcement for re-election. Right now, if you were to ask me, who do I put as the odds on favorite to win re-election? Uh, it's, it's Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris. As, as horrifying as that thought is that we have grandpa dementia and Harpy Harris. Uh, As as the nominees running for re-election right now in April of 2023, I'm not – I have to tell you, I I would give them the nod because I think the Democrats are far better at collecting ballots than Republicans are. And I think we're kind of getting caught up a little spun up about is it Trump, is it DeSantis. I have to tell you, and I'm saying this in some ways a little bit to kind of grab people's attention, I don't care who the nominee is. I really don't because I think we're getting lost – in that, first of all, we should focus on the fact that we're going to have an America first candidate as the Republican nominee in 2024. Rejoice in that fact. Uh, but we had better figure out how we become better at uh, our ballot collecting machine. And Buck, I've been hammering on this for a while. In fact, American majority has made it one of our main focuses for training uh, starting in, in January of this year in which we are trying to communicate to the grassroots to candidates, to those anybody that will listen, really explaining what I think took place over the last couple of election cycles where, where Democrats have realized it's not really about votes. It's not persuading people. It's about how do we collect ballots, more ballots than they do than Republicans. And, I, and I've explained to the grassroots, the good news is we do actually have a model on what we should be doing in every presidential battleground state, and it's called Florida. And let me explain a little bit about what Florida has done very, very well, especially over the last five years, the Republican Party in Florida, to give people hope, but to also highlight what we should be doing. Over the last five years, the Republican Party in Florida went from being down over 250,000 voter registrations to Democrats to now being up 450,000. That's a 700,000 swing in five years. How did that happen? Because they committed about two to three million a year over the last five years and said, we're going to go and build out our, our voter base. Now we're up 700,000, uh, 700, swing up 450,000. Buck, I have to tell you, because of some of that, I don't think Florida's a battleground state next year. But the other aspect of what Florida has done very well for, I would say, six, seven election cycles, they've actually committed to an absentee ballot chase program over the last six weeks of the general elections where they've put at least 10 million in. They've pursued the 1.1 to 1.3 Republican absentee ballots in the state to get 80 to 90% return. This is something that the Republican Party kind of used to do fairly well in other states, but has really let like fall off. And I think one of the things, Buck, that really highlights how badly it has fallen off is Arizona in 2022, in which just over a million absentee ballots were requested by Republicans. Only 650,000 were returned, or roughly 65%. If you had had 80% of absentee ballots returned in Arizona, you would have won Secretary of State, you would have won the governor, you would have won Senate, you would have won the Attorney General, you would have won everything, and, and quite frankly, very definitively. But nobody took the time to actually fund an absentee ballot chase program in Arizona. That's why you actually lost every statewide. And so my message right now is don't get caught up in the Trump DeSantis Uh, fight in the primary, focus on the fundamentals of how we're going to actually implement absentee ballot chase programs in Arizona, in Nevada, in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina. And if we don't figure that one out, Buck, I think we're just having kind of really nice conversations about who the nominee might be, who will actually lose to Joe Biden.
0: Is the DNC smarter than the RNC? I mean, is is their machinery just more efficient and better functioning than ours?
1: The the fact of the matter is since Obama and organizing for America, the DNC is really just a legal kind of functional mechanism organization in which most of the political power on the left, on the Democrat side, doesn't really run through the DNC. They've gone and kind of branched out into other things that have done a lot of this absentee ballot chase uh, program really well. In fact, someone's told me I have not been able to independently confirm this book. But I've heard that outside groups in Arizona plowed about 20 to 30 million into absentee ballot chase programs alone in Arizona, all outside groups, right? Not state party, not the DNC, most of that being outside groups. I think so the wait, RNC ahead, now, now,
0: just just I, I think this is I, I want to learn this, too, right? I mean, you, you look at this stuff. And I think for everybody listening, it's important. We say like outside groups, right? I mean, t- take us into the machinery here a little bit of if you say the DNC is just kind of a thing that's there, almost like a figurehead for what I always refer to as the Democrat apparatus, where yep. are the, the centers of power? Like, what actually matters for Democrats to win elections? And I mean, in terms of the electoral tactics and get out the vote effort, you know what I mean? Like, who who's making so, that happen for them?
1: I mean, it, it, part of it is that, that the candidates themselves, the campaigns themselves have figured this out. I mean, think about the fact, Buck, really quick. Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania didn't debate once in the gubernatorial race. Uh, Katie Hobbs in Arizona didn't debate once in the Arizona gubernatorial race. Why is that? Because Democrats have figured out it's really not about persuasion. It's not about persuading people to vote for you. It's about understanding, have we seeded the field with enough absentee ballots, with enough ballot requests for us to go out and be able to collect them? And what they've done Buck, is they have gone in and they've gotten a lot of their low propensity voters. And and just so people who are listening understand, most times you rank voters one out of four, one out of four being a presidential general only election type voter, four out of four being they show up at every primary, they vote in spring elections, they vote in the general. What Democrats have done very, very well on the left is they've gone out and they've realized we need to get our low propensity voters to actually request a ballot. So then we know we've actually pushed out a ton of ballots into the universe, then we know where they're at and we're now gonna collect all of those ballots because we know this person has a ballot. We're going to harass them either through phone calls, peer-to-peer text, door knocks to get them to return that ballot. We as Republicans have not done that. Uh, In Florida, we've done it fairly well. We've done kind of the push. We've pushed people to get ballots and then we've pulled them in. We've we've chased them. We had better figure out those strategies pretty quick. And, And I have to tell you, I just do not see the RNC uh, having first of all, I'm going to be pretty rude here. The basic intelligence, the desire, the willingness, and ability to actually do a robust absentee ballot chase and call it five to six presidential battleground states. So I think it's incumbent upon outside groups, and obviously American Majority Action or C4 is working with some groups to say, regardless of what the RNC figures out, regardless of what a presidential campaign might figure out or a state GOP, we have to make sure we facilitate. Maybe three, four, five presidential battleground state absentee ballot chase programs in a very robust way, and I, I've told the other folks that are involved it has to probably start at ten million uh, over the last four to six weeks whenever the ballots drop in a specific state.
0: Now, is it is it fair to say that you know you work you know as CEO of American Majority, you're doing the the ground pounding work of of elections for the for republicans the gop conservatism etc are, are you completely Center right are, are are you um outgunned at least just by the sheer number yes. and financing of the other side God, i couldn't even yeah i i had a feeling like give me a sense of that scale not even close. it just it just feels like everywhere i look there's another organization that's doing the bidding of the left and not all of them are funded yeah. by soros obviously a lot of them are and i wonder like where did all this come from
1: well, I have to tell you, in fact, my new op-ed for American Greatness, where I write them, is, is probably going to be a little brutal on think tanks. Uh, I, think the, I think the right needs to really examine what they're doing with a lot of their nonprofit money. The left has been very sophisticated with how they spend C3 and C4 money. This is, this is a dynamic I think we need to look at, where the left is fixated on doing everything they can to achieve political power. They have this obsession and lust with political power. We on the right are wandering about, I'm, I'm even saying con Inc. fiddles while the Republic burns, that we're spending so much money on think tanks and white papers that it, we need to start focusing on, you know, two to three million a year in voter registration to these states, uh, battleground states. And we need to figure out how we're doing no less than 10 million to absentee ballot chase. The, the left is far more sophisticated than we are right now in how they spend their nonprofit money. And again, if you want to talk about, yeah, are we outgunned? Are we overwhelmed? Again, I don't know how they did this legally, but Mark Zuckerberg with Center for Tech and Civic Life dropping in 400 plus million into presidential battleground states, into blue counties to boost the blue vote. I mean, that's just one example. It's obviously a significant one, but you realize the left is plowing a lot of money into these outside groups to be used in a very effective way. And whether if it's not voter registration, if it's not some of this other stuff, they're doing lawfare, they're doing investigative journalism, they're doing FOIA requests, they're doing a lot of different things to throw sand into the gears of anybody on the right that might be trying to do effective work. So we got to figure out how we use our nonprofit money much, much better. And until we do, we're going to be outgunned. And and sadly, Buck, I think outgunned pretty significantly.
0: So just, uh, I think that's such an important point uh, about the about the Zuckerbuck's issue, you know, people will refer yep. to this. Well, what actually happened there? I know it was four hundred million dollars, and I know it was to help Democrats. But so they're yep. able to use tax advantage dollars, right? I assume these are uh, this yeah. is these Here's are tax advantage tax deductible dollars yep. that I know Mark Zuckerberg, you know, has got so much money he doesn't care, but still, right. um, to pick and choose like we're just doing a basically if you just chose to do a get out the vote effort in the city of philadelphia well guess what you're going to help pennsylvania go pretty blue right and that's so they're able to keep it non-partisan so it's tax advantage but it's really not right. non-partisan because where you are no. where you're har- harvesting the votes are democrat right. strongholds right is, is that basically the formula yeah. like how did it work
1: yeah yeah well, it, it really was. And and Center for Tech and, Tech and Civic Life was actually being run by some alumni from the New Organizing Institute, who, quite frankly, I always admired for their pretty highly skilled tactics and strategy. And they started Center for Tech and Civic Life and persuaded Zuckerberg to do this. I mean, it's not rocket science, Buck. You know that in there are certain places, like you just said, if they're, they're heavily urban areas, the odds are it's going to vote a certain way. Hey, let's go in and maybe put $10 per voter into that county or that area versus maybe a dollar for a red county, and we're just going to help facilitate the vote, put some drop boxes in. But it got to the point, like in Green Bay, where Center for Tech and Civic Life essentially took over the machinery, the local machinery for how elections were conducted. They went in and were extremely aggressive and actually said, this is how the elections are going to be conducted if you're going to take our grant money, and we're actually going to facilitate how it operates. I still am stunned again, I'm not stunned, but because I know a lot of the machinery of this vast bureaucracy, whether it's at state, local, or even the federal level, they're not on our side, but it is pretty staggering that we've allo- we allowed a billionaire to go in and through a nonprofit, essentially take over uh, the election process and, and that, that entire process in these battleground states. And nobody said, hey, should we have a conversation about this uh, on a serious level? And we just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. And I want to ask you I'm, I'm telling you, but I'm telling you right now, to their credit, a lot of Republican legislators have outlawed Zuckbox where they have the political power to do so. But I'm telling you, Buck, the left is never asleep. They're never going to stop and go, oh, well, you beat us on that one. I guess we're just going to have to take a break. I've made this point on on a on Laura Ingram's show, but look at what they're doing in Minnesota. They've done motor voter laws. They're now pre registering 16 and 17 year olds. Uh, and they're also proposing pop-up polling locations. And the easiest way to explain that is, you know, someone in a county can request, hey, we'd like to have a pop-up polling location, an advantageous place for, us, say, a rest home or a college campus. Think of it as a drop box on steroids. I mean, the left is always aggressively trying to pursue how do we get political power and then how do we hold on to it? And we on the right, a lot of people are just wondering about, you know, Having black tie affairs and popping off fireworks over the Potomac to celebrate their existence, but not achievement.
0: It's uh, a little discouraging, um, and unfortunately, if we're going to talk about Joe Biden here in a second and what we face with him, I don't think I don't think it's going to be happy talk. But Ned, just give me a, a moment for our sponsor here, My Pillow. We love all the My Pillow products, right? I've got the Geezy Dream Sheets on my bed right now; they're phenomenal. You got to try Geezy Dream sheets. You know, you might obviously already have sheets, but guess what? You need to change them every couple of years. So get yourself a new pair of sheets. Right now, the Geezy Dream sheets for MyPillow Pillow coming in as low as $29.98 when you use promo code BUCK. It is time to update your sheets. Remember, these Geezy Dream sheets come from the Giza region of Egypt, which is where the world's best, softest cotton is grown. And they're ultra soft and breathable sheets, but very durable. You're going to love them. They're the best sheets I've ever owned. Get yourself a couple of pairs. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. You get eight weeks of every night sleeping on these sheets to make sure your purchase is amazing. Go to MyPillow.com, click on Radio Listener Specials, check out the flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. Remember, use my name as the promo code BUCK. When you go to MyPillow.com, get the Giza Dream Sheets, promo code BUCK, or call 800-792-3269. That's 800-792-3269. All right, Ned. So this, this I think sometimes this makes people, uh, even in some of my beloved audience, frustrated with me because I, I end up having to tell them, yeah, Joe Biden is is a clown. He was not smart even yep. 40 years ago. And we go down all the list of aviators <laughs> to cover up his face so that people don't realize he's so vacant and old and decrepit and the whole thing. Right. This is I point all this stuff. I, I get it. He's probably going to win unless we figure out a few things. And this is what I try to tell everybody. Democrats don't care. They don't care that he is a decrepit buffoon and he's quasi senile, if not fully senile. Right. He's the brand and their brand apparatus is very powerful and they're going to run. Democracy is going to die if the Republican, probably Trump, ends up being the nominee on our side. And that may swing enough independents who are. Did you see the poll that said they're all exhausted, by the way? That's the biggest thing that people are thinking about now, that there's exhaustion, exhaustion, not good for our side.
1: No, no, no. I, I, You know, I'm kind of looking at what I'm doing right now, 18 months out from the general elections in November of 2024, of kind of ringing the bell a little bit and going, you think that we're up against, you know, Grandpa Dimension, Harvey Harris. These guys are idiots. They are. Uh, but again, understand what's taking place. It's not even about Biden and, and Kamala Harris and all of their supposed uh, you know, attributes, which are very limited on, on so many different levels. It's about them being used as vehicles to achieve and to retain political power. So quite frankly, you know, we're, do not be distracted by that and think, well, there's no way we can lose to these chumps. Yes, you can. Because they are, they are focused on the, the machinery and the functional aspects that we just discussed of we're going to collect more ballots than the other guys, and we're going to invest enough money to do so. But the other thing too, Buck, I've, I'm, I'm working on a new book. Hopefully, it's going to come out this year. But it's called American Leviathan, and it really is about the administrative state. But understand that we're up against not only the Democratic Party, the left, the corporate propagandists we are up against the administrative state and they want to see somebody that's an ally to the administrative state win so we're up against very powerful forces we should not underestimate that that should hopefully sober us up a bit and hopefully focus us on what we should be doing over the next 18 months because it's going to be a battle royale if you think that somehow administrative actors state actors are going to simply go oh yeah You know, Joe Biden's all washed up. I guess we're just going to have to watch Donald Trump take the White House back. No, they view him as an existential threat. They view him as such an incredible threat to the premise that the administrative state is legitimate. They're going to do everything that they can to make sure that Joe Biden is able to waltz back into the White House uh, so that they can actually continue doing the actual real governing of this country and, and use Joe Biden as kind of a front man.
0: You think that the plan is to push Biden through with every trick in the book in 2024 and then at some point have Kamala take over? And therefore he gets to be Kamala gets to be the first black female vice president. Obviously, this will be the Democrat Party touting uh, the massive achievement there. They're in without ever facing voters.
1: I I, I think. I don't think he's going to be able to get away with as much as he did in 2020 in the COVID era where he could stay in the basement and, and have the corporate propagandists essentially run, run his campaign for him and do all the messaging for him. I think they're going to do that again, though. I think they're going to use that playbook again. Um, you know, I, I think the whole Russian disinformation, you know, Hunter Biden laptop in a ploy. They'll probably try and pull that one out again and do something along those lines. Yeah, I think there's going to be a whole host of things. We've seen them pull out their playbook before. I think they're going to use a lot of those same tricks. And I think the corporate propagandists are going to be on steroids next year to try and and make sure that Donald Trump or whoever the nominee is does not take the White House back. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed, Donald Trump is making it very clear recently even you know, the Schedule F, I'm going to go in, I'm going to reclassify some of these government employees, thousands of them, and then I'm going to fire them. He's making it very clear. He plans to go to war with the administrative state. They know that. They view him as an existential threat. So whatever, whatever confidence you might feel in running against Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, please don't be overconfident. I feel like I was overconfident last year in 2022. I'm never going to make that same mistake again.
0: I, I feel just to, to be fair, I feel exactly the same way. I thought, how is it possible what a a disaster Biden is and the Democrats are so insane that any, well, go look at what college-educated voters in particular did in places like Arizona and Nevada and Pennsylvania and what they said in the polling, which is just, you know, threat to democracy, you know, they believe some of the, uh, you know, pro-abortion propaganda, and they don't like Trump, and end of story, right? And you sit here, you go, whoa, what what, what about crime in cities? What about a wide-open border? What about inflation? Eh,
1: Yeah, no, they're very good at the propaganda. The thing, though, and I I don't want to be too much of a Debbie Downer for your listeners. Like, I want them to have some hope.
0: I know. You're usually Uh, a happy guy, by the way. Like, you're a pretty, you're an upbeat, you know, optimistic guy. Yeah, yeah, but keep going.
1: So, just so you know, there's 144,000 more registered Republicans in Arizona than Democrats. You should be able to win that in 2024 if you do the right things. You know, even in Minnesota, I was just up there training, trained a couple hundred people uh, on abs- absentee ballot chase, ballot out, ballot in. And, and I made the point, if you guys had actually been able to do something like this last fall in a state like Minnesota and collected just about 22,000 rule absentee ballots that we knew were all going to go break for Republican, you would have won the state auditor's race and you would have beaten Keith Ellison in the attorney general's race. The numbers are there. It can be done. So I want to give people hope in knowing, hey, if you do the right things, we could actually have some pretty good victories next year. But Simply hoping, simply wishing for that is not going to actually get it done. We're going to have to be seriously focused on, and this is what I'm doing, raising money to make sure that we're doing the voter registration, working on doing absentee ballot chase. It's going to take a lot of hard work, and a lot of people are going to have to actually buy into that philosophy on our side. And the good news is, Buck, wherever I've gone out and trained on this this year, I'd say 99% of people agreeing, saying we need to do this, we're going to commit to it, and we're going to do everything that we can to make sure this happens in our, in our state. So I'm optimistic if we do the right things, we can win. But there's a lot of ground, a lot of things that need to be done between April of 2023 and actually achieving that uh, next fall in, in, in 2024. So we got a lot of work to do, but it can be done.
0: Ned, when we come back, can I ask you to tell everybody about, you're a Virginian, uh, you've been on the forefront of some yep. of the political battles there. Including some of the school issues um Glenn Youngkin haven't heard much in a while I I want a full I want a full Ned report card on Youngkin and also I want a Ned report card on how the Trump campaign the campaign not really Trump is doing so I mean I know it's all tied together but it's doing so far we'll get to that in a second but first let's do this the right way folks set yourself up this spring to have your full energy potential chalk can help this company provides an all-natural supplement that's helping people restore their energy potential every day. It's a supplement formulated to, to restore low testosterone levels in men to their previous levels. Our diets and stress are just not good for T levels. Chalk's leading ingredient in their male vitality stack has been proven to restore 20% of the lower levels in just three months' time. You'll feel the positive effects and experience an energy potential like you haven't in years. Chalk produces their products with a high level of purity This makes it the most potent and impactful it can be. A male vitality stack, super effective. Sign yourself up so you can check out Chalk's male vitality stack or any of their other products, by the way. They have a female vitality stack, too. So for ladies out there, you might really love your Chalk. Get 35% off any Chalk subscription for life when you use my name at the website, Chalk. That's C-H-O-Q, Chalk.com. Again, Chalk.com. Make sure you use my name at checkout, Buck, for 35% off. That's Chalk. Q.com. All right, let's let's start with Youngkin. You know, I, I was all excited. I was on the uh, for Virginians. I was certainly given high fives for for Youngkin's big yep. big win, and we needed a little bit of a boost after 2020. And how's he done, Ned? I mean, is and by the way, is, is he a possible presidential contender? I haven't heard anything about that.
1: I, I don't think he's going to run in, in 2024. I think he's pretty realistic that. Right now, you've got two heavyweights, I would argue, one super heavyweight with Trump and another heavyweight with DeSantis, and, and the polls reflect that. And quite frankly, yunkin has been doing a really good job in here, Virginia, especially considering he doesn't have the state Senate. He's got the House of Delegates, 52-48 majority. He doesn't have the state Senate, but he's been able to achieve some good things on a host of fronts. And he's, he and Jason Miares and Winsome Sears have, have, have been doing as best they can without having the full political power needed to achieve some of these policy goals. But Glenn Youngkin right now, and I think part of, this might be part of the reason, Buck, that he's kind of foregoing a presidential. I, I want to remind people this year in Virginia, we have every state Senate race and we have every House of Delegate race. And if Glenn Youngkin wants to be able to have that last year of his, of his governorship to achieve some policy things, He's going to actually need to have the state Senate and it's going to be a battle royale. Uh, The the maps are going to be really tough buck for us to get to a 2020 tie right now. It's 21 19, actually 22 18 Uh, for us to get to a 2020 tie for Winston to have the tie breaking vote is, is going to be an incredible achievement. It's going to be very hard. So I think Glenn's focused on that. We're going to be focused as well on, on maybe adding a seat or two to the house of delegates majority, but, If you were to ask me, and I haven't talked to him, I don't really have that connection with Youngkin. But if if I were to guess, I would say he's going to be putting a lot of time and resources into trying to get keep the majority in the House of Delegates. Hopefully, get to at least a 2020 tie in the State Senate, so he can have one year to really achieve some of these policy goals that he really wants to achieve.
0: So so far, I mean, it sounds to me like I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's what's the letter grade?
1: Oh, I would say. Given what he's been able to do, there's been a couple maybe I would quibble with. I don't know. I'd, I'd give him a solid A minus.
0: I was going to say it sounds gonna, A minus or B plus territory, yeah, so that, that's good. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, 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 yeah I was going to say for, for somebody who is in what is most assuredly a purple state, he's, he's been doing a, a really good job on what he has the ability to do. Let's put it that way. So yeah. I think Glenn Youngkin has a future in Republican politics. I don't think it's 2024, but maybe it's maybe it's after that.
0: Is Virginia in play for a Republican in 2024?
1: Maybe. And the reason (laughs) I say that, Buck, is. Well, well, I I, I can say maybe, maybe,
0: Ned, but keep going.
1: Well, I mean, think about it. Glenn Youngkin really. I mean, he he had Terry McAuliffe throw him all kinds of gifts coming down the home stretch. A lot of people really woke up those last 30, 40 days and said we can win Virginia. Youngkin only won by what, about two points. So even then, we kind of caught them by surprise. I think there's gonna be like kind of goes back to, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, if the work is done to actually do voter registration and absentee ballot chase in Virginia, which is a little harder than some other states because we don't register by party. Um, in, in Virginia. If we do those things, I have every reason to believe that we can make Virginia really competitive in 2024, but it's, are we going to invest the time and money into the functional aspects that will make it? It you know, sounds winnable. like the, v-
0: the Virginia GOP then is, it is in a maybe better than average <sighs> re- play. Cause like the pens from what I understand from my Pennsylvania friends, for example, the, the, the oh, Democrat, the Democrat machine in Pennsylvania is just kicking the ass of the Republican machine in yeah. Pennsylvania in, in every possible way, have them outplayed, yeah. outfunded, outthought. And I'm like, guys, it's kind of a big deal, right? This isn't, this isn't like Rhode Island. You know, this is Pennsylvania. It's an important battleground state. Yeah. If Virginia is in a little better, like, how would you gauge that?
1: Yeah. Does <laughs> that ish. sound like really okay. confident? Yeah-ish. Ish. I mean, Yes. Because of Glenn Youngkin, but you have to understand, most state parties are have no funding; they have no ability uh, to actually perform a lot of these things. I, I mean, I would say I, I'm I'm a fan of the Virginia GOP folks. I think they're doing the best they can, uh, considering their limited finances. But this this is of some concern if we're not going to have really strong state GOPs we better figure out outside groups are going to be very robustly funded to be able to do some of those functions. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's doing fine. I would give it definitely not as good a grade as Glenn Yunkin, but it's, it's hanging in there. It's just, it's a very hard job Buck, to run a state GOP in many parts, thanks to McCain Feingold, but it's just, it's really hard to do and do it effectively. And I would argue probably of the 50 state GOPs, there's maybe 10 that are actually well enough funded to do effective work.
0: Wow. Well, let's let's come back in a second, Ned, to uh, how the Trump campaign is doing thus yeah. far, and what your what your thoughts are about about how that's uh, shaking uh, shaking out. But first, I want to talk about the Tower the Towers Foundation. Tower of the Towers Foundation was born from the tragedy of 9/11 and has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage free homes. This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are house, receiving housing and services this year. And this coming Memorial Day, all the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the War on Terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers ceremony. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Taunt the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. All right, Ned, Trump campaign at this early stage. How's it looking? Who's doing what? What do they need to change? What are they doing well?
1: I I think they've got some of the right people on board. Um, Buck, obviously Susie Wiles. Susie Wiles is really running the show for Trump. You know, um, Susie and I had our differences, to be honest, about the RNC chair race. I was essentially running Harmeet Dillon's whip team. The Trump campaign, the Trump folks were behind Ronna, getting her reelected, getting her slate, trying to get them elected. The other two lost. It is what it is. Still a big fan of Susie's. Because I think what's the the, the important thing that people need to understand about what Trump has done, Susie Wiles and her Florida team that ran the absentee ballot chase program that know exactly what they're doing on that front are essentially running the Trump campaign. And so that should give people hope that the people that know how to do the functional ballot chase voter registration that made Florida successful, uh, they are essentially running the field operations and, and a lot of the campaign aspects of the Trump campaign. I think one of the interesting dynamics that I'm looking at in the Trump campaign, I think he's going to be successful. I, I do not think there can be a lot of big donors behind Trump. It's going to be Trump and the small dollars donor base against some of the donor class in the primary. I give the nod to Donald Trump that he's going to be able to pull it out. And I think some of the donor class will come back to him in the general or they'll fund outside groups that will be a benefit to him. You know, I have to tell you, I think the Trump campaign is, is doing everything that it needs to do right now. They have, they know they're the front runner. They know that they are really that 800 pound gorilla. And quite frankly, Donald Trump knows how to use that power and that ability to go after who he perceives to be some of his biggest opponents. And I think he's been extremely effective if you look at the poll numbers. So it's not over yet. Uh, but, you know, th- th- there are a lot of good things that are actually happening with the Trump campaign.
0: Who do we have to win? In order to win the White House in 2024, that we didn't uh, in 2020, right? I mean, that's where that would be. That would be different. White suburban women. It would see, okay, but so, interesting. Like, I, I talked to Ryan Grudowski so, about this recently, too, and I, I was I like to ask the people who know, right, because this is like, when you know, when I was in the CIA, you know, you, you get the smartest analysts you can in a room, you ask them, three of them the same question, you're going to get three variations. They're going to be rooted in the reality, but three variations of what they think or, you know, yeah. what they assess. Yeah. And I sit here, I'm just like, how, Ned, does Trump win suburban women? I, I mean, in all honesty, I, I asked the question because I if someone put the, yeah. if someone told me, so what did Ryan say, by the way? Um, what did Ryan say, by the way? Oh, you don't want to know what Ryan said. No chance. <laughs> Ryan said it's totally screwed.
1: So, well, so, no, I think there's some ways. Obviously, Donald Trump is, is it's a hard sell to suburban white women. I think there's a couple things that he's gonna to have to do that he can do. One, he's gonna to have to find a vice presidential candidate that appeals to them. I'm proposing Kim Reynolds, the governor of, of Iowa. Iowa, who, yeah. She's excellent. A lot of people Yeah, she's excellent. A lot of people have called her the Ron DeSantis of the Midwest. I mean, it's so so people can kinda of have that perspective. She's very good. I think that would mitigate some of of that for Trump. I think he's going to go after some of these issues that appeal to suburban moms. I think the transgender issue, if I'm being honest, in in women's sports and high school women's sports can help him. So I think there's some, it's going to be a tough sell buck. I mean, I think we've got to be realistic. It's going to be a hard sell. So then the question becomes, how do you build out your voter base? How do you get enough ballots out there to maybe overcome some of that? Because, you know, it's going to be, it's gonna be a hard sell on those battleground states to those suburban white white women. It is hey. We should be realistic about about it. So how do we mitigate that? And how do we overcome it?
0: I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream
1: media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world.
0: The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app. And search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. What about um, white working class voters who came over for Trump in 2016 and may have sat out in 2020? Even you know the uh, I've seen some data to suggest that they didn't necessarily go Biden, but there were some stay homes. And, and look, this, we're speaking in very broad terms, but right. you know the the America First message of uh, changing the way we do trade with particularly China, but just in general and bringing uh, bringing back manufacturing, you know, in Rust Belt states, that really seemed to resonate. Um, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that resonated the same way in 2020. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I haven't looked. I couldn't tell you the numbers off the top of my head, but I know there were a lot of people that voted Obama in 2012, voted Trump in 2016 in that upper Rust Belt. I I think it comes down to... I'm sounding like a broken record, but let, let me guess, let me guess,
0: get, get ballot chase and getting the votes out
1: and get-, get a ballot. Like, this is the thing, like, I'm telling you, this can be done if we can get to these people and say, I need you to request a ballot. Or the other thing too, that I'm, I'm, I'm also training people on is please get it out of your head. That election day is the only aspect of election season here in Virginia. We start voting six days, uh, six weeks out. So you need to start voting at the beginning of election season, not on election day, because if you really like your candidate, you're going to literally save them four times the money that they're going to spend if you don't vote early on text calls, door knocks. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where the, the outreach was not what it should have been. This is why I was so frustrated about the RNC race, to be completely honest, Buck, in January. The RNC was miserable, failed completely on the voter outreach that it should have done, could have done. And if you, if if some of those components are not there and not, and you're not as focused as you should be, this is what happens: people that should be your voters stay home because you haven't hit them enough times to get them to the polls. So I, I have to tell you, if we do not, if we are not firing on all cylinders next year in regards to outreach, registration, ballot request, election season, yeah, we're up against it. It can be done, but boy, I'm now you're really getting me frustrated about the RNC. And and those folks that are running it, but uh, you know, I'm going to ignore them, and we're going to do the best we can without them.
0: How does? I mean, you've been talking about these things. I just think it's it's cur- it's uh, it's interesting to hear about. I think people are curious. Like we say, do do ballot chase. Like what what? How does this actually work? Like if I put you in charge so, of getting the absentee ballot thing done in, yep. uh, you know, I don't know, like Wisconsin, right? That'll be an important state. How does that work? What do you do?
1: So. I'll I'll use Virginia as an example since okay, we're doing fine. some it, of that this you year. You know Virginia super well. It, 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 yeah. yeah, but just to to explain a little bit. So you can request a ballot, an absentee ballot up to twelve days before the election. Right. So what we're gonna be doing is getting people to we're gonna push them to request a ballot all the way up until the deadline. We know that how, we how do you then push them? I
0: really I really want this like stuff. Like how do you put what are you doing? Are you sending out emails, hey guys, register for an absentee. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, no, we'll find, we'll find the people that have either been traditional ballot uh, requesters or people that we'll, we'll actually model that we think are potential. And we'll mail them. We'll probably mail them a ballot, absentee ballot request form in, in some of the state center races we're in to get that form into their hands to encourage them. You need to fill this out and send it in. Once they get in the mail, we'll probably follow up with a peer to peer text. We'll probably follow up with a phone call. The idea being we want to expand our universe of ballots to get them in there. And then once they're in the, the greater universe, we know where they're at, right? We know that somebody at this address has a ballot, and it literally becomes a series of harassment block. I mean, that it's not rocket science. As soon as you know who's requested a ballot, where they're at, you call them, you text them, you knock on the door. Here in Virginia, we can actually ballot harvest. I fully intend to, within all legal limits, be able to do that. And we will do that. So it becomes a series of harassments to say, we want your ballot. You have a ballot. Let's return that ballot. Let's get it in before, um, you know, the deadline. So what are the, like for Virginia, I know
0: it's different state to state, but ballot harvesting. Can you just, can you have somebody, you know, who works for American majority? Uh, Can you have somebody just go to like a, you know, um, a big apartment? Churches were
1: harvesting here. I'm sorry? Yeah. uh, Churches were actually harvesting here. uh, Churches were harvesting? Really? Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's one of those things that I want to have a conversation with some of these churches and go, "Hey, it's legal. You can do it. We should be doing it by all means legal, where it has been decided in the state this is a legal approach to actually how you vote and collect ballots. We should do everything. Yeah, you can. I mean, Buck, how do you think we have the House of Representatives in what otherwise was a absolutely complete miserable year? California Republicans and New York Republicans decided hey, it's legal to harvest. It's legal to do all these things. We're going to actually do all of that. That's, in many ways, why we have the U.S. House of Representatives, because California and New York Republicans decided, these are the rules of the game. We're going to play the game by these rules. There you go. I, I am going to hopefully, and we'll see, and again, this is what I hope to do, get as many churches as possible to actually ballot harvest here in Virginia.
0: Very interesting. Well, Ned, Please save the country and help us win the next election, okay? Can you work on that?
1: (laughs) I'm trying, man. It's going to be – it is going to be hard, and I hope that enough people understand we got a lot of hard work. It can be done. The republic's in the balance, Buck, and that's why I'm so focused on this stuff between now and 2024. Let's put in the hard work. Let's see if we got a shot at restoring the republic because that's Uh, what's really at stake in 2024.
0: People want to help out at American Majority. Where should they go?
1: Go to AmericanMajority.org. Uh, That's our website. You can request a training. You can become involved with us. Uh, They can always follow me on Twitter, at Ned Ryan. They can see some of the stuff I'm pushing out and talking about. So, AmericanMajority.org is a great place for them to check out with all the resources and how they can engage with us.
0: Ned Ryan, one of the best in the business, sir. Thank you so much for hanging out. Appreciate it. Thanks, Buck. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home fall on tough times and become homeless heroes like Buffalo New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family Arno was killed while protecting his community battling a warehouse fire he left behind his wife and a young daughter in their darkest hour talent the to towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage free home the foundation lifted a financial burden enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero join Tunnel the to towers on its mission to do good support the families of America's greatest heroes the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno plus gold star families with young children catastrophically injured service members and homeless veterans donate eleven dollars a month at t2t.org that's t the number 2t.org.